Man, what is it to really, to really say, all is well with my soul? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request be known to God. And the peace of God, that's that supernatural peace. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. And what is it to say, no, all is well with my soul, even in a dry season. I love where Olivia was reading from Habakkuk. Even in a dry season, like even in a dry season of life, man, no, God will lift me up. And in that, man, there's one reason why your soul is good, and that's because of Jesus Christ. That's why my soul is good. I know that my soul is well because of who Jesus is and what he's done for me on that cross. You look to the cross and you're amazed. No, my soul, in the middle of crazy, in all the chaos and all, like, no, my soul is good. I'm good. Here, I'm good. Crazy on the outside, but I'm good. God will see me through. His spirit reigns and dwells within me. Man, that supernatural peace of God comes on me and it surpasses understanding. I don't get it, but I have it. And man, that guards, that protects my mind in my heart. How beautiful, how beautiful, how beautiful, man. It's so good. We are so thankful for our worship team. So thankful for you guys here today. Uh, man, I hope you've had truly a great week. We're going to get into this. You can turn right with me, James 1. We're going to start, start going through. We're going to finish James 1 today. Uh, this is going to be a two-week word. Um, I'm excited. This is kind of the beef and the meat potatoes of, of James. So find yourself in James 1, start right in verse 21, um, but I want to cover a couple things, and, and sometimes you hear from me on things that are happening nationally, sometimes you don't, um, but there's two things that I really feel like I need to touch on, and um, number one is the He Gets Us campaign, all right, the He Gets Us campaign. Who knows what I'm talking about? You've seen the ads, they're all over TV, they're Super Bowl, right? It's, it's kind of a big deal, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll just play my hand right off the bat. Like the He Gets Us campaign, I'm about 25% a fan, 75% I'm like, ah, um, ah. Like it's like, okay, and this is why I'm 25% in because a lot of people are talking about Jesus. A lot of people are talking about Jesus. When we could talk about Jesus, that's a high five. Man, I'm juiced about talking about Jesus. And man, this is like national. This is a big deal. This is Super Bowl. This is hundreds of millions of dollars going into a, an ad campaign so people can talk about Jesus. I think that's great. It's also caused the left, uh, the liberals, to lose their marbles, which is always, I'm a fan, right? Like when they say Jesus on TV, the liberals, they lose their marbles. And I'm like, okay, that's worth 25% right there. Like that's just... Just to see them going, losing their lids and, and trying to rebut it, it's just, it's comical. It's awesome. So we see a lot of people talking about Jesus. We see the liberals losing their lid. High five that. Philippians 1, you've got Paul, he's in prison. You can read this in Philippians 1. He gets word back that there's people preaching in Jesus' name, right? But they're preaching from a, a selfish ambition. And Paul says, yeah, it's not really pure motives, but Paul says, I'll take it because the name of Jesus is being proclaimed. So, like, this isn't, they're not saying Jesus is, is false. There is no Jesus. They're not saying heaven and hell doesn't exist. Like, people are talking about Jesus, and I can high-five that. I'm 75%. I'm still like, I don't know, because it's kind of fluffy. It's a little light. Um, I would love to hear Jesus gets us and Jesus is God. I want to hear Jesus saves, uh, turn from your sin and repent. Something in a sense of the true biblical message. I want to see that as well. And you know, when I've, I've been looking in this for, for several weeks and started seeing the campaigns, I'm like, okay, what is this? Anytime you see it nationally, you're like, okay, he gets us, Jesus gets all of us. I'm like, okay, in that sense, I'm like, are they leaning into more of a liberal message? Are they... 
Are they going to stand firm on who Jesus really is as God? So, and then you start looking into some of these, and I'm just like, okay, again, I love that people are talking about Jesus. I love that, you know, what's happening with that. But I'm like, man, it just seems to be like a little fluffy and a little light where a couple of the ad campaigns, you know, you have one where where trying to reference scripture where Jesus has come to me as a little child. And then the end of that whole commercial is don't act like adults. No, that, that's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus is saying, you must come to me as little children, which means you need to come to me as a child depends, as a little child, a baby depends on its parents to live. You have to have that dependence upon me. You got to know it's not on you for salvation. It's on me for salvation. And you need to depend on me and you need to come to me like a little child who's humble and depends completely and totally on their parents to survive. Like that's what Jesus is talking about. Nowhere did Jesus say don't act like adults. Actually, the word says there's be a day that you grow up and you don't act like children anymore. So a part of that, I'm like, ah, that's not what Jesus meant. I don't like that. Um, and then they try to put in immigration. They try to put in Jesus as a refugee. Jesus was never a refugee. That's, that's just, that is just not accurate. But they're trying to play this pitch to immigration that Jesus gets us. He gets all of us. And they do this whole kind of immigration pitch that Jesus was a refugee. Therefore, he understands immigration and refugees. That, but that's not really accurate. Like when Joseph had the dream from an angel of the Lord and, and the angel of the Lord said, hey, Herod wants to kill, you're, you're probably about two years old, bro, you need to go to Egypt. So you've got Roman authority over Bethlehem. Guess what? You also have Roman authority at the time over Egypt. So it was the same authority. They just were moving locations where Herod wasn't going to get to him in Egypt. It's like us in New York moving to Texas. Oh, you're a refugee. Nah, no, you're not. You're still under the same authority. You're not a refugee. You didn't cross a borders with a whole new set of rules. Like, it's these things that cause me to be like, ah, it's a little light. It's a little fluffy. And they're trying to make a point. But I don't know if the point is a biblical point in the sense of where we would be as Bible lovers, right? We love the Bible and we stand on the word of God and we're Bible people. And, and anytime you see something like this, you've heard this over and over from this pulpit, man, everything's filtered through the word. Everything is filtered through the word. And when you, when you see that, you're like, okay, I can, I can do the whole high five. Everyone's talking about Jesus. That's incredible in a crazy, crazy season right now. Um, and then the second thing is this, is the, the Asbury College, the, what is happening on that campus. And I'm 100% in on that. Like just to throw you my hand right away, man, I'm, I'm, I'm 100% on in on what God is doing on that campus. When, when we live in such a generation and such a time that people have lost their minds, like people have lost their minds. Things are acceptable now. Things are okayed and supported and pushed where you would look at going, have we truly lost our marbles? Like what is happening in this generation right now? What is happening in, the, in, in America right now specifically where we, we go through the whole gender thing and then people want to identify as a dog and that's being accepted and God knows what else is going to be underneath that hood. There's just going to be so much crazy that you have to just accept it. You just Church, I'm going, love looking, going, we have lost our stinking mind. Like truly, what is happening right now? And then all of a sudden on a Wednesday, ha, there is this college that says we're just going to have our normal chapel. And it just didn't stop. And they're truly worshiping Jesus. And, and, and now everyone's talking about it. And now other colleges are catching wind. And other colleges are now having worship time to Jesus. And this is... 
And this is where we've always been at Believer's Chapel, man. If you've been with us since our living room, if you've been with us since BC West, if you're new to us now, just know this. We've always been a worship and word church. There is something so significant and so powerful about worship and word combined. And you see a, a, a thing happening right now, and I don't know when it's going to end, but we see right now with a lot of things that's going on with He Gets Us, a lot of things that's going on with Asbury, a lot of things that's going on with a lot of other college campuses that people are talking about Jesus and people are worshiping Jesus in the midst of a crazy, crazy, crazy generation that people have completely lost their understanding of any type of sense. Jesus is like, hold on a minute. And there's a group of people in college now in a generation that says, God is doing a move here and it's something beautiful. And I'm pumped about it. But as you know from Believer's Chapel, we look at this and we just hope, that, and it's always been clear here, Jesus Christ is the center of our attention on worship. Jesus Christ, who is God, is the center of our praise and of our worship and of our positioning and of our dancing and of our instruments and of our voices and of our songs. I just want to make sure that people don't just worship worship. I want to make sure people just don't worship worship, but they worship why we worship the very one that we worship, who is God, who is Jesus Christ, who is the Savior and Redeemer of mankind. Like, make sure that our worship is always centered on Christ. And I believe that that's happening. And, and I love the reports coming out of Asbury where you've got some of these platform worship leaders who are asking to go and they say, we will lead you in worship. And I'm like, do not do this. This is student-led. These are those who are in chapel, who've led chapter. These, these are the ones who've invested so much in that. If you got the big names trying to come in there so that they can now get the credit, that would ruin what God is doing there. Just let God do it and let God be glorified and let it continuously be student-led. And just, man, listen, if you're platform worship leader and you want to go in and just worship and shut up and act like you're not even there, that would be awesome. Just let God keep doing what he's doing. He doesn't need you to go on stage to do that. Just let God do what he's doing in the sense of the students. That's amazing and that's powerful. And I'm a big fan of what's happening in that where people are now in the sense of a, a generation that has just lost their mind. All of a sudden, there's worship that is being raised up and there is light again in darkness. And God's like, it ain't over. It ain't over. And we're seeing a great move and a great work. And from the beginning of Believer's Chapel, we've been on that train of worship and word. Beginning of Believer's Chapel, we've been on the train of absolute truth. Live out truth. This is who we are. To know the Bible and live out the Bible. And that goes right in line with where we are in James. This is why I love just going through James. It just seems to be hitting on all cylinders exactly where we're at. You're gonna have to excuse my voice. I don't know where this came from. Last night started not feeling so great, and, um, but we're here. I got my wife got me some throat coat. Is that what it is? It's coating my throat. That's what it's doing. So that we will get through this and just, just be able to preach. Because I wanna preach today, and I wanna get, get into this, and just the, the power of the word of God. The power of the word of God. And what happens when you get into James, and, and we talked about it from the beginning, when it's like, okay, this is one of those, those letters that's going to punch you in the face. This is kind of one of those letters that when you read it, and if you're open to it, and if you allow it, it's going to read you. And then it's going to be like, okay, it's time to put the rubber where the road is, and it's time to say, okay, either I'm going to apply this or I'm going to walk away from this and I'm going to ignore it. 
This is what this series is. The whole series is called Faith on Display. Today's message is called Effectual Doer. What is it to be one who hears the word of God and goes out and does it? What is it to be one who says, I will show you my faith by my works? We'll get into that next week. That is next week's message. This is a two-week message because this is the heart of all of this book is be a doer of the word. Faith and works. And what does James say about it? That if you have faith, you better be a doer. Doer of what? Doer of the word. That is the center of this whole book in James. And then it covers your money, it covers your mouth, it covers your prayer. It covers, there's a lot of things that are covered and unpacked in that. But the whole idea is, listen, if I'm a man of faith, then I'm going to show you my faith by my works. That, that's what this is about. That's the depth of James. So we start that today, finish it next week. Come on, look at me. Uh, verse 21. James started getting into... What is it to, to have a, a, a worldly mindset? What is it to, to follow the world and its filthiness and its wickedness? And here James is like, listen, if you have truly been converted, if there's a true conversion, if you really are born again, if you understand the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for you and I on that cross, that God hates sin, then I can't come to him and think sin is okay. How many times have you heard from this pulpit, it's never okay to be okay with sin? And when we understand, our opinion to the Bible doesn't matter. His word stands all by itself. What you think is in the Bible and what you think shouldn't be in the Bible, that has nothing to do with you. God wrote it down for you and I to say, yep. Read it, say, yep. Read it, say, yes. There's things that you may not like, but you have to agree with. And, and, and when you look at politics, you look at even family members who don't agree with the Bible, ah, no, I know what it took for me to be born again. I know that God hates sin and he hates filthiness and he hates wickedness. He hates evil. This is the God whom I serve. I have been purchased by this son dying on a cross for me. No, I get the word. I believe the word. And we are a word church, man. We believe that this is the absolute truth and we're going to live it out. And when you see this in James, this is, where, this, is where, this is where James is in this and he's writing and look at this verse 21. He says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted. Here's the Bible. Receive the word implanted. Has the word been implanted in you? Has the word been implanted to you? Listen, when you look at John 8, Jesus said, listen, you want to kill me because the word hasn't been planted in you. You want to kill me. Like they, 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 you, you can see it. I think it might be on the screen if you have it. But like when you see it, when even Jesus said, listen, the reason why you want to kill me is you don't know the word. The reason why you want to take me out is the word hasn't taken root in you. And church, what happens when the word gets implanted and takes root in you? It does, it does a change in your soul and in your spirit that you understand it. And this is what he's saying. He's, he says this, the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness. And I love this. When you see putting aside or lay aside, this is an aggressive Greek word. And it means to throw down or to cast off. Like if you find a bee on your skin, like you're just reading. You're, I have, I have a, a man cave. Renee thinks it's her beautiful little place, but I have a man cave. It's outside in the fort in the summer. And she's like, you know, I want to put up sealer stuff. And she's like, no, it's my, I got some nice tables. And I'm like, it's, well, and when I'm in my man cave and Renee's in her little, you know, what do you call it? And you call it something, and it's so feminine, and it's so pretty, and it's so, it's so cute. 
Where's my man cave? But when a bee flies in and lands on my, like, I don't just look at the bee and pet him. I'm like, you're like, ah, you're doing everything you can to get that thing off. Like, that's what this word looks like. That's what this word means. Throw off, cast off, throw down, right? And that means to rip off, tear, and throw. And, and you got to get the aggressiveness of this, of the Greek meaning of that word, to see what he's saying. I love it. Here it is. Therefore, throwing down or renouncing, like aggressively, all filthiness. And th this means all that which is immoral. He starts going after the immoral things of, of, of generation to generation and generation, and not much has changed. Not much has changed. And he says, listen, you need to identify right from wrong. You need to identify right living from wrong living. You need to identify what God says about immorality. You, and you need to cast it down. 1 Corinthians 6 says to flee immorality. That means to run violently away from it, to flee, to identify it and run the other direction of immorality. That, that's what, this is this picture. And this is right here in James. This is a pregame to where we're going. And this is what he says, right? All filthiness, all, all, all of that immoral filth, and in that immoral filth, it will dirty your soul. This is the depth of all filthiness. All filthiness. In, in that filthiness, in that immoral filth, in that it will dirty our soul. This is what he's talking about. And, watch this, and all that remains of wickedness. Wickedness means evil. So when you see and you look around you say, okay, how do we identify in this crazy generation where people have lost their common sense, truly lost their common sense? How do we throw all that aside? How do we never walk in agreements to that? How do I identify that which is wicked, that which is evil? This is how I watch this. In humility, receive the word implanted, which means, God, I come to you humbly. I come to you with, with a meekness. I come to you with, with a heart that is not hard. I come to you ready to receive. I need this. A humble person says, I need this. I want to grow. That's humility. I want to hear. I want to grow. I want to learn. With the, with the word that is implanted, the word that has taken root, which is able to save your souls. So, so turn to Romans, please. Keep your finger in James. We'll be back there in a minute. Turn to Romans. Romans chapter 13, please. And this is, this is another list of, of what it really looks like of all filthiness. Like, what, what is a list of what it means, all filthiness and a generation that's wicked and evil? And, and when, when you see where James is, like, listen, this is the pregame to be a doer of the word. Right? If we are truly going to hear the word and then be a doer of the word... If we're going to do what the word says, the pregame to that is I better, I better clean it up in a sense of identifying that which is immoral and that which is wicked and casting it away so that I can have that word that is implanted and that word that comes to me and the word that I can feed on. Because how many times, please hear me, watch this, watch this, the word implanted, sometimes it can actually mean uh, like the word implanted when you see what that means in, in a sense of hearing it and responding to it. Right? What happens when you allow it and you continue in sin? You're hearing of the word of God 
becomes diluted. Your hearing and the word of God becomes less. You're not hearing the word properly because you've allowed sin to come into your life and it's just this continuous place. And in that, your, your ears are stuffed and you're not hearing what the word of God says. But this is what he says. Look at this, Romans 13, verse 12. The night is almost, go- almost gone. That's talking about the present evil age. And the day is near. This is speaking about Jesus' return, right? There's, there will be, I promise you, church, there will be an end to this evil day and there will be this amazing return of Jesus Christ. He says, and that is near. Therefore, because we believe that, because we know that this present evil age is going to end, but we know that Jesus is coming, therefore, let us lay aside. There's this word again. Let us throw down, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness, and put on the armor of light. Let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And the armor of light means right living. It's time for us to be light in darkness. It's time for us to be a city on the hill. It's time for us to be not ashamed of the gospel. It's time for us to be bold of the truth of God's word. It's time for us to fight for our children. It's time for us to fight for what we know is right. Like this is that time. And this is what he's saying. We got to lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And that's right living. And let us, I love this, let us behave properly. Let us behave properly. When you look at James 1, 21, and now you get into 22, and they're talking about being a, a, a doer of the word. You hear it and you do it. That's right behavior, right? That's right behavior. Let us behave properly as in the day, watch this, not carousing and not in drunkenness. Not carousing. What does carousing mean, right? Carousing just means drunken parties, riots in the streets. That's what carousing means. Drunkenness means don't be drunk. Right? Don't be intoxicated, whether by alcohol or drugs. Don't put anything in your system that would cause and lend your mind to a place that you are intoxicated by it, that you are controlled by it, and therefore you're not controlled by the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk. Not in sexual uh, prescriminity. That's just, that's just talking about immoral sexual behavior. Immoral sexual behavior. It's not complicated, right? Immoral sexual behavior. We here believe the Bible. God has made it so simple and so clean that there's male and there's female. In marriage, there's husband and their wife. Sex is beautiful, created and made by God for marriage between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. It's not that complicated. You don't even have to love the Bible to realize, ah, man, woman, it works. You don't need to be a Bible scholar to figure that out, right? So it's just like, okay, we believe that anything outside of that falls under immorality. If you're having sex before marriage, that falls under immorality. Right? If you're male with male, woman with woman, that falls under immorality. If you're a male who thinks because of the looseness and crazy and lost of mind today that you can, whatever, I don't, I, you just need to be careful. Anything outside of husband and wife in marriage? See, I just, I just need to coat my throat. Hold on. <laughs> my wife is like taking another drink. Okay, okay. <laughs> but it's true. Here we go. Look at this. Sensuality. Is, is, is just a bigger party. Sensuality is outrageous public behavior and it has a sense of immorality. It's this outrageous, disgusting, public disgrace. That's what that means. And then it says strife and jealousy and strife and jealousy is those who always want to quarrel, those who always want to debate, those who always want to be contentious and those who are jealous here, it means the one who boils over with anger, 
the one who boils over with anger. And then, so you, you're starting to see this, and then and look, watch this, and then we'll get back to James 1. It says this, verse 14, but put on. So we're supposed to throw off all of this. We're supposed to throw off all filthiness, and that's a good list of filthiness. Throw it off, cast it away, be aggressive in getting away from it. After all of that, put on. That means to wear like, a, like clothes. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provisions for the flesh in regards to its lust. Make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. Come on, back to James 1. It's amazing that James puts this kind of as a pregame to the meat and potatoes of this book, of this letter. Where you see in the next several verses, we're going to take a deeper even look at what he says about the word. Church, this thing kind of just lays on what is your perception of the word? Because you can sit in church and hear it for years. And what happens when it never really took root? What happens when it never really sits? What happens when it never really bear fruit? Because he's like, there are those who hear the word, but they do not act on it. There are those who hear the word, Listen, we, we, we seem to reference Matthew 7 often in this, even in this series. We've hit it a couple times now. Well, you see where Jesus is saying, listen, depart from me for I never knew you. He goes into this, this whole perfect pitch of, listen, if you hear my word and you obey it, man, the winds are gonna come, the seeds are gonna come, you're gonna build your house on a rock like a wise man and then you're never gonna stumble. You're safe, you're secure. But if you hear my words and you don't act on them, if you hear my words and you truly aren't a believer, you hear my words and you truly aren't a doer, then the storms are going to come and maybe temptation is going to come or maybe you're not going to see it the word way, but you're going to see it the world way. And then when the storm really hits, the Bible says you're a fool and your house is going to collapse. So this is where James is. And then he goes into verse 22 and he says this. In all of this, when the word is impeded in my heart, I will be driven to cast off and throw down all filthiness, identify the wicked and the evil of the day. When the word of God is implanted in my heart, I will identify that and push it away. He says this, but prove yourself doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Prove yourself. Doers of the word. And I love the word doers here. It, it's, it has a sense of continuous. Not like, why well, I did the word once. Well, I read something and man, I acted on it one time. Like that, that's not this. This is this continuous pattern. If I read the word, the word reads me. I identify things in my life according to the word and I act on them. I'm a doer of that word. That word has been implanted in me. My soul is secure. I'm saying no to all of these things that are filthy and immoral. I'm, I'm going to stand for what God says is right. And man, in that, when I prove myself to not just be a hearer, but a doer, I hear the word. And what happens if I hear the word and don't do the word? The Bible says you deceived yourself. Verse 22, your word and your version might say deceived. Right? Let's look at this again. Verse 22. Prove yourself doers of the word and not merely hearers only who deceive themselves. 
who delude themselves. Church, how many people really do you know that you could say, oh, if they would just grasp this, they hear the word, but they never act on it. They've been hearing the word for years, and I don't even know if they're born again. They've been hearing the words, but they're walking in an immoral life. They hear the word, they're here every week, and they hear the word, and they worship the Lord, but man, they just, they're, they just can't prove themselves. All right, come on, please hear me. This is where, where James just kind of gets to us. Where if, if you're in church over and over and over and you hear the word and you don't act on it, you've been deceived. You've been deceived. And church, I'm a big fan of getting into the word of God. And church, I'm a big fan of studying the word of God. And when, when, you, when you see how powerful the word is to stay away from the things of sin. I just did uh, a study. It took me a week to go through Psalm 119. And when you go through Psalm 119, maybe, maybe two verses out of 176 verses or 174, I'm not sure, 174, 176 verses in Psalm 119, maybe two of them are not referencing the word of God. And when you see, okay, how, how important is, is hearing the word, but then understanding the word and then devouring the word and having the word implanted in my soul, then I can now act on the word. Right, Psalm 119, verse nine. If you can put that up there, please. Like when you understand there is such power in his word, how can a young man keep his way pure? By what? By keeping it according to his word. Man, how, how do I stay out of filth? How do I stay out of immorality? How do I cast it away? How does a young man, it's a great question. It's a great question. How can a young man keep his way pure? How do we do that? By keeping it according to the word. If you don't know the word, you can't keep it according to the word. If you don't know the word, you can't keep it according to the word. And then just, you know, two verses later, verse 11, your word have I treasured in my heart that I may not sin against thee. Your word have I treasured in my heart. Because your word I've treasured in my heart, because I do that on repeat continuously, right? When you see that, I do that, then I may not sin against you. There's power in his word. Word impacts our lives. And this is where James is with this. Man, and I'm, I'm a fan of taking the Bible, I, and I gotta be honest, man, I've, I've told you this before, but 2022, I went before the staff and the team and said, guys, let's try to go through the Bible in a year. I came up with a program that was like, you know, it, it went in like biblical order. It was just kind of really cool. It was a great plan and we were going through it. About halfway through, I'm like, I am, I'm out. I can't, I can't. Like all of my other study, everything I'm doing, like I can't sit there and read 14 chapters of Leviticus. My mind blows up. It's like, ah, like I've got so much. I, I love just reading a verse and diving in that verse. I love reading these in letter form. Like when you look at First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, these are Paul's handwritten letters, James' handwritten letter. And I like to read it in full. We had three members of our staff actually made it through the whole plan in a year and, and they got a prize for that because the, the gold star goes to them. But I'm just like, I've tried it in the past. I just, I can't do that. Why? Because I, I really want to dive into it and I want to study it and I want to write down, this is what this word means. Man, this is the Hebrew of this word and this is the Greek of this word and this is how it applies to me. When I'm trying to read six chapters a day, I'm like, ah, man, I don't, I just, I can't. And then it takes you all over the place. I'm like, my head don't work that way. But what is it when we dive into the word? What is it when you read these letters in full? 
We're the ones who added chapter and verse. Paul wrote a letter to the church. They didn't just stand up there and read like five verses. Like we do. We do that. We're trying to unpack it. But what happens in your study time? You just take James and read all five chapters as a letter. And you do that for one full week. All you do is just read James. Maybe you just take chapter one after that and you just read chapter one over and over. And then you go to chapter two. There's no rush in reading the scripture. So how does a young man keep his way pure? It's through the word, but we need to know the word. This is how important this is. And James spends time on the word. Again, back to verse 22. Okay, here, here it is. Watch this. Prove yourself doers of the word. That's a continuous action. Man, does the word become who you are? Does the word of God become who you are? Do you see yourself in the word and say, no, this is God on paper for me. God identifying himself for me. This has changed me. And my opinion to change the word is a bad idea. Like, no, the word changes me. Like this has affected me. The word becomes who I am. And my encouragement is that word become who you are. It's a continuous doing and the word becomes who I am. And watch this. Prove yourself to be doers of the word, not merely hearers only who deceive themselves. Verse 23 is this beautiful picture. It says this, for anyone who hears the word, there's it again, there, who hears the word and does not do it. He's not a doer of what he hears. You've heard the word, you've stiff-armed it. You've heard the word, I don't believe it. You've heard the word, nope, not for me. You've heard the word, ah, I've heard a different thought on that. You've heard the word and you've changed the word. Like all of those apply. For anyone who's heard the word and is not a doer, he is like a man who looks his, his natural face in the mirror. And once he looked himself gone away, he immediately forgets what kind of person he was. This is an amazing picture that James is writing for us. If you are a hearer of the word and not a doer, you're like the one and the word look here, you're gonna see it three times. The word look, looked at, looked at, it means that there is this deep consideration. When you're looking at the mirror, you're looking at yourself and there's this deep consideration of what I see. You've heard it many times, a mirror don't lie. You can claim you're not, making, you're not gaining weight. I can claim I'm not gaining weight, but I look at the mirror and sometimes it's like, dude, you need a couple extra sit-ups. Like this is the way this works, right? A mirror doesn't lie. If you ate dinner and you go into a mirror and you see that you got spaghetti sauce all over your face and it was the first thing you ate, you're bummed that no one told you, dude, you got spaghetti up all over your head. Like, I don't know what you were eating, but it's everywhere. Like, you go into, the, you go in, this is what this is talking about. You go in the bathroom and you see it and you don't do anything about it and you walk out and continue a meal. Listen, when you understand the mirror reveals things, and it's you like walking away from that mirror and you do nothing about it. It's like you do nothing about it. Those who hear the word and see what we need to change, but yet we don't because the word reveals as much as a mirror reveals, the word of God will reveal. And if it reveals something and you reject it and you stiff arm it and you don't do anything about it, this is what, this is what James is applying here. I love this picture. I love this picture because any one of us, any one of us would see something on our face from dinner as you go and, and you would do everything you can to get it off your face. But how foolish is it when you go and the mirror reveals something and you don't do anything about it? 
How foolish is it, church, that when the Word of God reveals something to us and we don't do anything about it, you're a hearer, but you're not an effectual doer. You've heard it. You sit in church and you hear it and you hear it and you hear it, but you don't do anything with it. You stiff arm it, you ignore it, but you come. That's what this picture is. This is where James is. And man, when you, when you start to look at this, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, an amazing that when you get into a book like James and you try to go through it as, as deep as you can, it's like, oh man, that, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that applies. Yeah, I need to change some things. Man, I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm reading the word with you. And I really know that I need, I need change. But then we leave here and Monday comes. You heard the word. Watch me now, watch this. You may have agreed with the word. but you're not a doer of the word. You look in the mirror and, I, and identify what's wrong and you agree that it shouldn't be there. But you don't do anything about it. For once he has looked at himself, there's that deep examination. For once he had looked at himself and gone away, he immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the, here's the third time, verse 25. But the one who looks intently. Again, he talks so much. I don't want you to miss this. This is, this is where we're going. The one who looks intently at the perfect law. That's the Bible. That's his word. That's speaking about the moral truth. Church, I promise you there is a moral truth regardless of those who have lost their minds, regardless of those who have zero common sense, there is a moral truth. And God wrote it all down for us. Matter of fact, it's written in our hearts. Can I just say this? Is I just praying through this yesterday and going through some things. When you see Ephesians 5, 27, Jesus is coming back for a bride that is pure. Jesus is coming back for a bride that is blameless. Come on, look at this. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Why is the word so much on you got to remove, cast it all down, all the filthiness, all the wickedness, all the evil. There is a moral truth. And Jesus is coming back for her bride, for his bride, who's us, the church. The church is the bride of Christ. But he's coming back for a bride that is holy. He's coming back for a bride that is blameless. He's coming back for a bride who has no spot and has no wrinkle. As I cast it all down, get rid of the filth, get rid of all the immorality, 
Call out the crazy. Because Jesus is coming back for one who's holy and blameless. And James screams on this. Watch the blessing here. This is so good. But one who looks intently at the moral law, that's the word, the law of liberty. And amazing that this is freedom. It's not like God wrote a book of rules and regulations and says, oh no, too much fun. Ah, you can't do that because that's too much fun. No, when you understand sin deteriorates, sin causes decay, sin causes death, sin causes bondage. And God is saying, listen, my word will bring liberty. My word will bring freedom. My word will release the change because of Jesus. There's freedom in his word. There's freedom in his word, not bondage, not slavery, not the rules of do's and don'ts. His word protects. His word guides. His word directs. His word frees. That's liberty. That's freedom. That's release. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and watch this, abides by it. And abides by it. And who is a doer. I see it. I'm going to live by it. I'm going to abide by it. I'm going to live by it. It becomes me. It's who I am. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm a follower of his word. It is who I am. I will abide by it. Not having become a forgetful hearer. Don't be like the one who looks in the mirror. Be this guy. Be the effectual doer. Be the one who is effective in his doing. Be the one who is the difference maker. Be the one who follows hard after the word of God. Be the one who sees the word and it changes us. Be the one who will stand firm on the foundation of God's word. Be that one who has an effect to them as they do. This is who we are. This is what we do. We're effectual doers. Watch this, watch this. We'll close with this. And this man will be blessed in what he does. The word blessed, it means to overflow with goodness. Church, it really is a fight. And we need to get in the game. And James is an action book. And when you just see in a short few verses, he mentions the word, the word implanted, the word, the law, the law that frees. Like he just hits it over and over and over. But those who abide by it, those who say that is who I am, I will be a doer of the word. The Bible says you're blessed. You overflow with that which is good. And then it talks about the tongue, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks. And then verse 27, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. We have this beautiful ministry called Love Thy Neighbor, which is just a fantastic addition to this church. In this ministry, we want to truly help the hurting. When the Bible is referencing widows and orphans, in their day, widows and orphans, you were in a very, you were in a dangerous place. You were in a very, uh, a very distressed place. You were in a place where if you were, had no husband to provide for you, many times you'd become a prostitute. If you were an orphan that was forgotten because for whatever, for whatever defect, for whatever reason, for whatever it was, they just left you on a, like, it was a, a bad, bad gig to be a widow or an orphan. 
We at Believer's Chapel, we love our single moms and try to do what we can to assist, encourage, and build the single mom, the single father who's doing everything he can to make it work. Church, what happens when you see a church that is here for the hurting? And listen, if you are, let me clarify real quick. If you're capable of working and you're not, you're lazy. You're lazy. And God calls laziness a sin. America has become very lazy. America has become very dependent on someone else taking care of them. That's Americans. If you're a man and you're not working but you can, God says you're not even worthy of the kingdom. So here at Believer's Chapel, we're very careful with the finances and where it goes. If you are healthy and you're not working, you do not need to apply for finances at Believer's Chapel. It will be a no. Go get a job. Go get a job. But if you are hurting, and you are doing everything you can, that's where Love Thy Neighbor comes in. It's such a beautiful, it has been so good. We had a quick call out yesterday. It was just beautiful because we got a call out. Matt gets that call. And then we realize where it's at. And one of our people here at Believer's Chapel lives a mile away. And Matt's like, dude, can you just go down the street one mile and show up as Love Thy Neighbor? And it was amazing. And that's just, that's the blessing of such a, a, a broad reach of Believer's Chapel. It's amazing. So what is it to be a doer of the word? Love thy neighbor is a big piece of being a doer of the word to help those who are hurting, to help those who are in a season, to get those who are in here to here in, in just a season of life. It's beautiful. And man, I love... I love where we're at as a congregation. I love where we're at as a church. I love our stance on the word of God and we will, there's no wiggle room there. I love that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And it is my hope that as you hear the word, you're like, it's time. It's time to cast off everything I need to cast off to identify the wickedness. And it's time to be an effectual doer. I want this to become who you are. James writes this in a way that he wanted these, who he wrote it to, the church that was abroad, the church that was scattered. He wants everyone who hears this to make this who they are. And we're called to live out truth. Come on, if we could stand to our feet, please. If anybody needs prayer for any reason, we would love to pray over you. If you want to talk to Jesus, we would love to talk about Jesus. You can come right up here as Katie sings. We'd love to be able to pray over you. Man, as we're singing, as you're singing, just ask God, God, what did you spoke to me today? Where did this hit and resonate with me today? If I need to change, change. If I need to cry out for help, cry out for help. If I need prayer for something, ask for prayer for something. How has this got into your spirit today? Come on, amen.